0: Hi, Tunde, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. And I know you are in Lagos now. Can you tell us about how that's going, what you're doing there?
1: Oh, I'm actually not in Lagos. I um, <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to fly two weeks ago, or so, and my COVID result didn't come in time, so. Oh, okay. I've, yeah, so I just postponed my flight till um, a couple of months from now, next month or something.
0: Okay, cool. Well, can you tell us about where you grew up and what you ate?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Lagos. Um, I ate um, like regional Western Nigerian food, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I'm Yoruba. um, So I ate Yoruba food. My mom is um, Edo. So I ate that food as well. My dad is also part ethic, so I ate that as well. So I ate like Yoruba ethic and sort of um, the Delta region food so Edo is food. And then we ate like, uh, I guess, white food
0: too.
1: <laughs> no, yeah.
0: Which white food?
1: Um, uh, well, we used to, when, when we were growing up, we used to call it like breakfast things.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but when I came here, I learned that was like lunch meats and shit like that. So like sausages okay. and um, hams and stuff like that. So we ate that. So it was like a mix. We had like, we usually like would eat that on Sundays. Like my dad will cook and we'll go out to this like store. Um, my dad will like buy a whole bunch of things and then he'll cook. And then we also ate... You know, like pasta. Um, my mom would <laughs> my mom would make shit like beef stroganoff, like just like random shit. My my mom went to she went to school in England, so she came back with certain notions around food. So we you know we had those kinds of things. And and you know like growing up in Nigeria, I came from like a middle class background that wasn't you know it wasn't um out of the norm you know for folks to eat that kind of stuff so like cereals and uh you know pancakes um stuff like that plus we also watched a lot of american television with that kind of stuff on Mm -hmm. on the TV. right
0: right yeah and you know you self-identify as an artist a cook and a writer and i wanted to ask which which were you first and how did the rest <laughs> come? <laughs> uh,
1: would you say, which was I first? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Which, which, which identity or it came to you first uh, in terms of your work?
1: Right. Um, I don't know how to answer that question. I feel like, I, I, you know, I feel like it just de- depends on who I'm, who I am um, talking to, I think I say I'm an artist because it's just easier to convey what I'm trying to do. I remember like, I was trying to raise money for a restaurant and I was telling people that this restaurant is not going to make any money. And they (laughs) couldn't understand that. They were like, huh, what what does this mean? But then if I was talking to, say, a, a curator and I'm like, well, this project is this and I need this amount of money, then they get it you know so
0: yeah
1: it just depends on who who I'm talking to but yeah so um I guess in the chronology of like what is on public records yeah the artist came last and it's probably still not on record so maybe this is the first time so
0: (laughs) well it is difficult I think for like multidisciplinary people to use that word um to you know um Make themselves legible, I suppose, in in a when in a world where you have to make everything legible to obtain what you need to do your work at all, um, you have to yeah. be very very strict about what you are. And I guess it's that is really funny that saying artist allowed you to get the capital for the projects that you needed that you wanted to do. <laughs>
1: but, yeah, my, I have a I have a friend who's a curator. Um, she's she's a friend, but she's also like a colleague. She's based in. Pittsburgh, uh, Kilolo. And she was the first person, like when she I did a dinner in New Orleans, and she happened to be there because she was there for the opening of some um hotel or something. And she had read about it, and she just came through. Um, and then that's how we became friends. But anyway, she was like, yo, this is she saw it as art, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then she gave me sort of like the words to to able to describe myself to myself and to other people and um and then she sponsored the project as art. So I'm like, all right, I fuck with this.
0: (laughs) Right. And um your work focuses, you know, on power, colonialism, capitalism, racism. You've written for food sections and food outlets, but lately you've been self-publishing. I wanted to ask if that was a conscious decision to move out of traditional media or um, you know, whether this is something that it it you're just not finding the space in, in food media.
1: Yeah so uh you know um I'm not sure how, how it is for you but like I I never like I never pitched anything
0: mm-hmm.
1: um just because that's not like I didn't grow up I didn't grow up I mean I I wasn't <laughs> like uh a journalist or anything right. so I didn't understand pitching um and the way I, the way I, I got my writing gig with The Chronicle was through a relationship. Anyway, all I have to say is that is like, if I want to publish something, I don't know who to contact, you know, and I also don't like um, rejection.
0: Yeah
1: so and then I also I'm not necessarily interested, because this has happened a couple of times when people will will reach out to me and then I propose something, and you know, they have a different idea of what I should do, which is fine. Right you know, but I, I just tend to want to write what I want to write. Mm -hmm. So I think that the medium like posting on Instagram or using my um, newsletter, um, just seems to make more sense. And I have been, you know, you know, recently fortunate where I'm not reliant on my writing to bring an income. So I don't, you know, I, so it's fine to just release it on Instagram. I, uh, i remember when i put it out when i put out like when i started putting out my essays on instagram like a friend told me she was like you know this is very difficult to read and uh (laughs) it's like (laughs) now people say this often to me they're like i can't i can't read your 75 uh post essay on food and i'm like all right fuck it and then (laughs) I kept I kept doing it, but it, but I I think there's something about like uh, interesting about like playing with the medium, at least on the, um, the ground, which, you know, making making the posts be these essays that nobody wants to read.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <That's, yeah. laughs> well, I mean, you've been written about a lot, interviewed a lot, you know, uh, people kind of, you know, set you up one way as sort of a provocateur um, in food and you know what do you feel that that gets your work right you know when people and i it's funny to ask you this while interviewing you but you know when you're when people interview you and write about you do you how does that feel um, do you see yourself when when someone actually is writing about you
1: i mean i guess it, it depends on right um on what was written or you know yeah i don't know i think like <laughs> Sometimes I step into and I you you get this too. People are writing about you too, right? Not really. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> then you're doing more of the writing. Uh, yeah. um
0: I mean, I do want to understand this because it is I have a book coming out and everything, like and I know it's going to be a weird position to be in.
1: Oh right. To be um to be to be quizzed. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess it just depends on on right. who was writing and what is writing. But I, I think this is not because of anything that I've done, but just just who I am. That when I read something about me, uh, I'm interested, yeah. you know. Uh, so I like separate myself from whoever, from like the person who's reading it, me, from the yeah. person who is being portrayed in uh, whatever piece, and I'm just like looking at it. Interestingly, uh, if I am so, if it's interesting, I'm, I'm interested. If it's not interesting, right. then I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, I guess that's how. I, Yeah. But th- but then all these labels too, they all find you know they all find um, use for me in, in in the context. So if somebody's calling yeah. me a provocateur, uh, you know, depending on the context, you know, that's true. Other times, you know, that's not true. Depending on how I feel, too, that's true. So yeah, yeah. it's just like all those things.
0: Right. Well, um, how would you?
1: How, how would you? How would you describe me to yourself?
0: <laughs> to yourself, to I <laughs> think of you as a writer and an artist. Um, and I don't think of you necessarily as a provocateur. I think of you as someone who. Uh, bends the narrative in different ways than we are accustomed to seeing in in food especially, which is a very, very um, boring cultural field you know, um, and <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very it's a young cultural field, I suppose, in terms of cultural criticism. And so I do think that anyone who says anything somewhat outside the the norm of the, the narratives we get uh, gets labeled like an activist, a, right, a exactly. provocateur, <laughs> whereas it's I don't really, think that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: No, I feel the I, same way because I, I I when I when I think when I you know when I think of I, I mean I imagine that depending on who is talking about your work, they're saying the same thing too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, so
1: that's so again the context is is everything. Like, uh, you know, to a lot of folks, I am, you know, people have told this in my face, I'm like not radical at all, you know. So <laughs> it just depends.
0: Yeah, no, I feel that way too. I have, you know. Uh, just by doing anything for money I am ultimately um, a bad person and not radical enough and and that's fine with me I've really made peace with that I think in the last year or so it's like I'm sorry I have to live
1: <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you make more peace as you made more money is that how it happened exactly
0: yeah <laughs> i was like you know what there's no uh there's no use for i'm a better use to people this way (laughs) i'm a better use to people when i'm not broke and worried and have have to go work in a bar um or do whatever the fuck to to keep myself going you know i'm a better writer when i don't have to worry about those things um
1: yeah i think i think having resources whether you want to call it money or whatever uh (laughs) <laughs> that is uh it's pretty pertinent to to um survival. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. No, I, you can't do yeah. good work if you're not if you're worried about um survival. And so it is what Yeah, it is. I mean
1: some people don't worry about money and so so yeah. their resources are different. But most of us yes.
0: money <laughs> most is of us it. worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um I wanted to ask you about. You know, last year's "Let It Die" essay was, you know, a big hit. I was it the first time you wrote an essay on Instagram, or maybe it was just it really took off. People were obsessed with it.
1: Right. I don't know if it was the first time. I don't remember. Um, yeah. But I, you know, just to, oh, sorry. Was that a question that I don't do? Well, yeah. Tell,
0: tell me about "Let It Die." Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, I just want to correct one thing, but, sure. but this correction sure. is, is is just like part of how I see the media landscape which is, you know, I don't know how much it took off until um, Helen Rosner wrote about it, you know. I'm pretty sure it didn't take off until (laughs) Helen Rosner wrote about it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so that was it. It just happened to be the essay that Helen Rosner um, decided to write about and so that's, I think that's, that's why I took off. Not to say that, that, that the essay is not strong, mm-hmm. but to say that, you know, for it to get to a, a certain like critical mass of people, it needs um, a lever and the New Yorker yeah. was the lever.
0: Right. Yeah, well, a- and, and you know, around that time, though, you you did you told WBUR what is important to us is not necessarily how food tastes. It's more about the theater around the thing. And I think this is what I was talking about when I was saying you bend been narratives that we're not used to seeing and that most people take things very literally, I think, because um, <laughs> I wrote something about the death of the chef and people were like, totally up in arms about like, I want to like put the guillotine on chefs or something. And it's like, no, that's Uh not the idea. The idea is like, what does this idea mean to us? What does this narrative mean to us? How can we change that narrative so that we create different systems that are better for people? Um, And, you know, but food media at large I think is extremely literal um, in its thinking. And so I wanted to ask you, you know what do you expect sort of from as a result of your work? Like, do you have an expectation around con- some, anything concrete or do you have an expectation more around changing ideas and changing narratives?
1: Um, it, yeah. So I think that I'm interested in like really big things. Yeah. Like, to be very specific, I'm interested in like changing the material conditions of uh, people who are disenfranchised, but specifically people in Nigeria, West Africa, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, that that is like my interest. Right. Uh, so do I think um, writing that a Die is going to do that? No. Do I think no. like any of the dinner series that I do know, you know, do I even think that any of the work that I do affects the material conditions of folks in such a way as to like change them permanently or even temporarily? No. Uh, but then, are uh, maybe people impacted by some of the work to think differently,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to act differently on an individual scale and depending on their sphere of influence, have that different action influence other people? I think possibly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah that's what i think
0: yeah no and in your um recent essay about returning to your home of nigeria you write all these convoluted numbers to say that nigeria is fucked and it is this fuckness <laughs> that is termed underdevelopment and you know and uh, i love this essay um it was such an immediate um you know, it was just really good. (laughs) The writing was really good. Um, And so, you know, there are so many types of food system futures that are discussed from the global north perspective. And I saw connections between this piece and your piece, what is profit and how is it made where you wrote for capitalist food production to flourish it has to eliminate indigenous food production. And one important way this dismantling incurs is through displacement. And you know these are connected by the idea that indigenous food production the un- un- quote unquote underdeveloped country require change by colonialist entities by capitalist production which we already know is unsustainable. And, you know w- so much of what I get stuck on right now in my writing is that one of the only ways we've created like concrete responses to these problems and to these structures developed by colonialism is that we have like fair trade food and we have these other food projects working in the global south, like you've worked with burlap and barrel, I, you know, um, and it's kind of just a retinkering of the old systems where, you know, the capital is still concentrated somewhere else, it's just through these sort of, you know, um, really kind means that we are kind of trying to make more equity there. And so, you know, I guess I wanted to ask you what, you know, what do you think of these kinds of food projects? You know, what are the limits of working with them? And what are the possibilities of working with them?
1: Yeah, wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that I think I think the problem is is, is big. Obviously, well, it depends on like okay, the problem that I'm talking about, which right. is very specific problem, which is about Nigeria, which is connected to, to West Africa and the continent as a whole, because Nigeria is the biggest country on the continent in terms of population size and GDP. Um, that problem is not, you know, fair trade, you know. Doesn't solve that problem. By fair trade, I mean like this: uh, engaging in like a, in global capitalist trade, right. but trying to do it, you know, with with like fair, more quote unquote fair um, terms. Uh, yeah. That doesn't solve that problem. Right. Um, yeah, that problem is is is, is historic. Is right. contemporary. So I I don't know. I'm. You know, I know that that doesn't solve the problem. I know that. Yeah. Uh, What solves the problem? um, I don't quite know yet. I'm still, like, thinking about it. And uh, I also don't know that there's a solution. So it's not like at the end of my thoughts that an answer is going to emerge. But um, I think that... um, That... Whatever people are terming radical, and right. wh- whoever is talking about that, that, that sort of like radical progress happens uh, in stages. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like we're not gonna end capitalism tomorrow or in 10 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, uh, I think that at least the people who, who I fuck with who think who think about this kind of stuff think about it in uh in terms of Uh, transitions and and long periods of time and a a continuum and there isn't for me anyway now like I don't think of of our economic system or or capitalism as this system that holds everything that is bad you know I think that what is true to all the different economic systems possible is you know uh is humans you know we are the the constant and so we have you know it's what is inherent in us is to to a certain extent be selfish and and to uh not selfish but to have differences in right wants and needs and uh and perspectives anyway all that to say is like we we can move from a capitalist mode of production to uh i don't know socialist or communist and we could still experience the same or some of the same things that are happening with the degradation of the planet with um right exploitation and other things so fair trade is not the answer that's what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> yeah no i was i was writing a piece about sugar and like i just had this moment of being like everything there is no way to fix this at all i was just, I, I mean there are ways to, <laughs> there are ways to fix it but it's just so historically rotten at its core that it is it would just take such a like it, the wor- whole world would have to change for our relationship to sugar to not be something um completely extractive and completely you know just to take one thing one one food stuff and 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 look right. at it it's just you know the whole system would have to change for this to not be um an absolutely terrible product for us to use every single day <laughs> um and yeah. yeah and it's hard to so when you're thinking of when we think about the you know equitable trade it's like it's just such a limited a limited idea um but and i mean this does yeah
1: <laughs> no no i well ju- just to be just to be specific like sure I, when we to- when I, at least I, i'm assuming that when we're talking about fair trade we're talking about the stickers they put on yes. products yes. right yes. We're not talking about. <laughs> you know, fair, like global trade, which is a right. completely different thing, which that will change everything. Exactly, yeah. It was actually fair trade between, um, between countries. Um, I'm, I'm reading this book and the writer talks about, or at least so far he's like uh, referenced this idea of comparative advantage, which when I was in school, in primary school in Nigeria, so or secondary school, I learned that comparative advantage is how you grow your economy It's like you find out what you're really good at and yeah. then you you develop that and you sell it to other people and, and people buy that and then you have this trade uh but the way the global system is you know what happens to be what say Nigeria is good at is what Nigeria has been shaped to be good at to benefit the west right right so Nigeria right. happens to be good at like uh, having mineral uh, resources in the ground, you know and so well that then is, then it has a, an overdeveloped um, extractive um, sector right to the detriment of everything else, so all of that to say is you know that real fair trade doesn't happen. Uh, on a product by product basis. It's, you know, to your point about sugar, like the whole shit needs to change.
0: Change, yeah, exactly. No, and um, as you mentioned before, like your project is about um, getting resources to those who have historically lacked access to resources. And, you know, whether that's you charge white people more for food or you price an issue of sandwich that you guest edited at $100, like, um, or the salt that was $100, um, and I think about these things constantly um, in Puerto Rico, where uh, there are there's a literal law where Americans from the you can the U.S. Uh, get can pay four percent in their taxes, but Puerto Ricans aren't able to get that same break. Um, and then now, like there's this problem with the Bitcoin people buying up all the property (laughs) like ever like the tourists have made where i live old san juan so unlivable that basically anyone who owns property is looking to sell it to the highest bidder which is going to basically just mean displacement by bitcoin um bros because they have the capital um in cash to buy it Um, and you know i i think of course in terms of food about everything so i'm like all right how if we I think we just talked about that, <laughs> but if you if we saw those real changes on a fundamental global level, like what what would the food world look like? What how what would change in the way we have a relationship to food?
1: Yeah. So I uh full disclosure, I'm invested in Bitcoin. But, okay. Any amount <laughs> of my, um, <laughs> not on that scale. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> okay so maybe i see something that's that controversial i think sure. that the, you know there's a difference between like um uh fault and responsibility right, right. so I think we're all responsible but just you know and re- responsibility has their degrees of responsibility um so i think as long as you're born and you participate in a system you're responsible but depending right. on your power and your sort of like Uh, subjective position you know that responsibility either grows or shrinks Uh, but then there's certain people who are at fault but even even that is also (laughs) a very complicated thing too Um, so I feel like uh, is maybe a little disingenuous to complain about um, the effects of the economic system if you are actively participating in the economic system Mm -hmm. and uh and by that i mean that you know what the sort of like speculative nature of bitcoin is the same is not the exact same thing but it's connected to say the continuous production of vehicles every year you know you know like last year ford produced 1.5 million vehicles tested that produced 500 or manufactured 500,000 uh, uh, vehicles. That sort of like investment in, uh, in consumption goods and you know, the, the, the proliferation of, uh, of credit and debt and all, all that shit, that shit is connected to Bitcoin, that shit is connected to housing market soaring, that shit is connected to like everything. So we can't like pick and choose or well, we can pick and choose if we want to. Right. But the truth is that like, it's all connected. So, yeah. um, of course, that's what's going to happen in certain, uh, in certain, um, communities. Cause that's what money does in this economic system. But, you know, so that isn't, that is not to say that it's right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's but I, I'm just, I'm just like saying that. And I feel like, you know, if, maybe a lot more people were talking about the, we're actively trying in little ways and in big ways to like address the economic reality in general, as opposed to like specifically when it makes them uncomfortable. Um, Then, then, you know, things will be, I don't know about better, but things would be maybe different. Uh, And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm also just not very interested in in the food system as, as as a lens to experience transformation, just because it's connected to everything else, mm-hmm. and um, and it, it's it, it it I don't necessarily think that it is the lever that could change things. I'm sure it's one of the many levers, but mm-hmm. I think that it's probably not the first. Lever, if that makes sense, does that make sense or no?
0: That makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I th- well, I, j- j- just just be more specific. I think that, I think that like monetary policy, fiscal policy, like reining in, say the financial industry, like f- financial services, like that is that drives the economy, right? And addressing that probably has a greater impact than um, you know. Like working on working directly on food policy but you know right. they're all connected because you, you yeah so, yeah
0: all Right. well do you feel that you're getting away from food as a lens then to look at the world and politics
1: uh no i don't think so okay um, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah.
1: I don't, I mean, I, but I, so just it's like, I do think that food is the, food is like a lens to, to appreciate all the politics. Right. But I think that when you're talking about like policy and changing things like on a global scale, like if you're talking about sugar, for example, yeah. like changing how sugar is produced is just like a, maybe a really difficult way to change the system if the whole system needs to change. But yeah. like yeah. focusing on, say like the global mechanics of fair trade, is a better way to do that but it, but if you look at sugar production and consumption then you see the global uh, mechanics of trade right. and these uh, these other aspects of the system that are kind of fucked up but like mm-hmm. when it comes to actualizing change I, I'm not sure that food is the place that we start from
0: no that makes complete sense yeah <laughs> and I think that we have a we don't um maybe acknowledge that enough when I say we, I say food writers, um, that we're not enough engaged with all the other aspects of the world and, and the reasons these problems ultimately exist. It's, it's more about, um, uh, yeah, these, these small things that maybe allow you to see the bigger picture but don't give you the tools to necessarily engage on a deep intellectual level with those issues. Um, if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: But um well actually to get back to food because you have in- <laughs> I know that you you worked with the beard foundation um and then also on the sandwich magazine you worked with I think Sir Kensington's owns that which is owned yeah. by Unilever. So mm-hmm. you've worked with these big organizations that have um you know a lot of kind of power, but you also have written that in all spaces, food and society, we see the faithful and continuous reproduction of the social control, which reinforces the idea that white domination is the natural of order of things. And how, you know. Uh,
1: I've been saying some shit, huh? I no, mean, no, that.
0: no, but like why? Uh, I'm sorry, I read reread like everything you've written, obviously, to talk to you. <laughs> I know it's weird to like have your stuff read back to you. Um, but how, you know, what do you see the role of, of interacting with these kinds of, like the Beard Foundation with you know um, a magazine owned by a company, like what is the purpose of this engagement? And yeah. And, yeah.
1: Um, I do want to shout out my partner Ruth on the- Of course,
0: she was great, she's great.
1: Yeah, on that magazine. So I guess it just depends. So what, what did I work with the Beard Foundation on? I don't
0: remember. did you edit, edit some pieces I think for the blog I know my you I wrote, wrote a piece for you yeah
1: yeah I wrote I a piece yes yeah that's what I did. um I just wrote a piece about um the work that I was doing right um at the time Mitchell um Mitchell was the VP um and yeah he reached out and I and then I wrote a piece um so I yeah it just it, it just depends but right. if we're talking about like um, money and capitalism. Uh, this yeah. is how I feel about money. First of all, like <laughs> nobody owns money. That, exactly. shit is, that shit is for everybody. Like they say, money belongs to the game. Like I don't care. You know, like I I don't have a problem taking money. Um, I think there's certain monies that I wouldn't take. Not because I think the the money is quote unquote bad. It's just that it make me look crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so and I don't want to look crazy, but. <laughs> Generally, like I, you know, money is money so not real, and it has such real consequences. And nobody owns it. In my mind, it belongs to everybody, or it should. So I'll I'll take money. All that I have to say is that um, organizations and just the way our economy or the, the global system is structured is that. Um, Capital accumulates in certain places. It accumulates in the states, and it accumulates in corporations and organizations and individuals. It is unevenly distributed. So I don't get who you are. If you are looking for some sort of sustenance, like you're not printing dollars or mining mm-hmm. gold by yourself, like you have to go to the to the to the deposits where they are, and uh, huge corporations, are, they you know. They have the money. The state has the money. Uh, by the state, I, I mean the the the, the nation state uh, um, structure. So uh, when I so, so Kensington specifically and Unilever, um, the kind of work that I that we were trying to do at the time, Ruth and I was to talk about certain global systems, and it was uh, it, it was fantastic that it was um, Unilever because Unilever is an antagonist in our story. And yeah. so it was sort of like this, and we had conversations with them about that. Um, so it was, it was, you know, I was interested, or Ruth and I were interested in the possibility of extracting just something so small from them, something tiny relative to how much they've taken from um, Africa, from Nigeria, you know, in particular for me. Um, so, 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 so to me that, that made sense, you know, to work with them on that. So, uh, yeah, I, it depends on, on the opportunity, but but like, I think when we're talking about money and resources, the folks who have that money, um, are the ones who are distributing that money. And so if you want it, it, you know, whether you get it directly or or indirectly from them, you're getting it from the same source. So that's how I feel about that.
0: No, it's it's a really useful way of thinking about things. Because <laughs> I think if you're very online and you're sort of on the left, like all of this becomes a very, very personal responsibility issue rather than an issue of uh, taking the money from who has it when you need it. Um, and it, and every every move you make is sort of either an endorsement or um a rejection of of massive things when actually it's it's really none of that um it's it's a useful way of thinking about things that i think isn't um it doesn't get enough attention to talk about it in that way
1: yeah i um i mean the thing that i well i you know there's obviously money that comes with caveats and mo- most yes. money does. So yeah. if the caveat sort of like infringes on, on certain things for me, then I, 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 I would take that money. But if it's relatively chill, like for example, you know, with the magazine, you know, I think they told us that we couldn't like specifically, like we couldn't make the whole magazine about um, Unilever, as an mm. evil corporation, that that's just right. that was that would be a little too much, right? Um, and then we we're like, sure, <laughs> we're <gonna> do that. <laughs> but like it didn't mean that it doesn't mean that we didn't like critique, you know, what uh, um, Unilever stands for or you know whatever. But like so 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 there's that. But I think more about now, like more about how I just I think about how I'm hoarding money as opposed to where i'm getting money from exactly so if i so if i get money i think about like okay this is money that i have now what am i going to do with this money how can i use money to further my my mission Mm -hmm. you know yeah um and then i think in that way you know i think of my stewardship of resources as opposed to wondering about the optics which is like how do i get it which i do but you know you know i'm uh, i'm less interested in the optics and more interested in like how the money that I have can maybe do something different right but it's sort of small number that you know (laughs) that's
0: that's extremely useful um thank you for that (laughs) for that film projects
1: I'm sorry I lost like the first part of that question
0: you've are you working more in film now
1: yeah so um my production partner and i uh that's ruth and i we uh we got a grant and we're working on a docu series um on food well uh-huh. it, using food to explore these sort of like larger questions so yeah that's yeah. sort of what we're doing
0: that's exciting yeah, yeah. um
1: and speaking, and- of, speaking of money and sorry just one thing yeah, yeah. Of money and 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 like the grant you know we got money from a, a couple of foundations you know these foundations are, so you have people who, you know, maybe take money from foundations, but then criticize uh, how other people make their money. Well, foundations, right. a lot of them are invested in the stock market. I don't right. care if you're invested in ESGs you know, <laughs> or whatever, like you're invested in, in like a very speculative uh, medium. And that sort of like speculation, that sort of idle capital that is, is sitting in bank accounts or, um, uh, you know, what do you call them? Uh, in ledgers, that is money that is, or that is a system that is uh, deeply exploitative, right? you know? So we don't get to pick and choose. Well, I, you know, I try not to, um, especially with money. Um, and I just think about how the money that I have, again, to what I said, can be used differently. So, yeah. Right,
0: right. and for you, is cooking a political act?
1: Like just at home, just chilling and, and cooking?
0: It, cooking in general. I ask oh. this question to everyone and just, it it's usually just a kind of a Rorschach test of what they think of the words cooking and the words political.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like if I'm yeah. just at the crib, just like cooking by myself, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, if I'm doing a dinner series or something, then possibly, um, mm. Yeah, I don't think of, like, I could be wrong, but I don't think of cooking. I I think, like, identity is political. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so, sometimes just being is political, but all of this is contextual. Like, your identity in a particular place is political. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think of cooking as an identity. I think of cooking as, like, yeah, as an act. But I think, like, I don't think of necessarily um, actions as inherently political right uh, I think most things are contextual I think if mm-hmm. not everything so it just depends on the context yeah
0: yeah yeah well thank you so much for taking the time today
1: yeah I have a I have a question for you <laughs> okay <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> do you want to uh, ask me while we're recording or yeah yeah, yeah okay
1: um so like something that is just fascinating about to me about about your work is uh and I could be wrong, because I get you your your newsletter, but I don't read it like every week. Okay. But I read it enough to know that you talk about the same thing. Uh by that by by that I mean like your perspective is the same, which is like anti-capitalist, uh, um, uh I wanna I want to say anti-racist, but I, I'm I'm not sure how you how you describe that yourself. But um, but you have this perspective and the, but you keep writing like every week, right? Every yeah. week you're writing, every week. And just how haven't you exhausted things to say? <laughs> no, it was like, I, I'm so serious because I feel like I, when, when I wrote for the Chronicle, I wrote four essays and yeah. I'm like, the next four are going to be about the same thing and mm-hmm. the next eight after that. And so I'm just curious about how you keep, like how you keep the shit fresh. It's the same, like you know if, if you're right you know, like, yeah
0: no I mean I think a lot of people would say I don't keep it fresh that I have um a shtick that I you know I'm just always saying capitalism is bad climate change is bad we have to stop climate change we have to eat less meat like that I just bang the same drums over and over again which is valid like I think I have a, a beat So to speak, as a writer, these are the things I cover is is how our our cultural relationships to food are part of these larger systems of economy, policy, white supremacy, all a part of larger ways of uh, systems that, you know, control our everyday um, ways of being and thinking. And that is my beat. That is what I write about. But I do think, obviously, within that, there is so much to write about, there is so much to think about. And I think, I don't know, I mean, it was, I think during the more peak of the pandemic, I really exhausted everything that I had to say for years, but no one ever let me say. And so as a food writer, and then I think now I'm interacting more with the world again and and finding more ways into the things I have always written about and thought about, but they're more rooted in my interactions with other people, um, I don't know. I I I I think I just you know I've always um, been a compulsive writer, so it's not okay. it's not hard for me. Like this is the natural way in which I communicate, and this is like it's easier for me to write something down than it is to say it. It's easier for me to, um, yeah, just to communicate in writing. That's my that's my way of communicating. I, I don't like yeah, like I'm happy to talk to you, but I find it is I'm going to feel tired after I do this. <laughs> because I it's um, just the the it's a less natural way for me to communicate you know
1: yeah no I dig it I think that makes a lot of sense because I <laughs> I think yeah if that's easier for you then it makes sense that you you would do that because uh, most people say the same thing anyway over and over again yeah but with your mouth but you're just <laughs> like writing it so
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: No, that's great. Um, um, another thing that I want to tell you on record is sure um, I met a man through you, uh, Mr. Byrne.
0: Mark, Mark Byrne.
1: Yeah, from good vodka. I was in I was in Lagos. So this is a super short story. Sure. I were filming um, for the docu series in the, in not Lagos in Kogi State, which is like central Nigeria, and we had this really delicious um, local drink, and I was, you know, I was blown, I was blown away by it. And I, and I just kept thinking like, fuck, this is so delicious. Like I need to fucking bottle this and sell it or something. <laughs> and then I was in Lagos a couple of, like a month after and I was, I was reading, I had read the interview that you did with him. And then I'm like, I need to call this man or email this man <laughs> and see if he'll work with me. So I emailed him and he agreed to work with me. So um, I don't know, sometime, in some soon future, we'll be releasing a like a Nigerian palm-based spirit. That, oh,
0: that's amazing!
1: Yeah, but that it, you know, the it's not a it's not like a commercially viable product. You know, it's just it's a I guess it's a project about right. exploitation again. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, good vodka is basically that as well. It's more like a I mean, it's a product and it's a commercial product, but it's also more about like how. Uh, spirits exist and and are made and are you you know the history of of spirits is it's usually made from waste rather than growing things to make spirits which is a bad way of doing Mm. it (laughs) um but that's amazing i love that i love talking about and maybe when it comes out we'll talk again but um i love talking about spirits (laughs) Um, I love talking about alcohol um, because I do think people have a really like weird and complicated relationship to it obviously Um, but it's nice to talk about it um, on a level of like appreciation rather than like the very very American perspective on alcohol which is like wildly problematic (laughs) yeah yeah.
1: I don't know much about spirits I just know like to the point to the early point about, about seeing all the systems and everything I just know that like just like a really small thing, like you know, um, the indigenous production of ogogoro is at scale. Like that shit is happening. You know, folks are in in the Niger Delta region of Nigeria servicing like half the country uh, with this shit, and they're doing it from these small, small camps, to all these different small camps by by the by the water, and so just thinking about thinking about what that means and thinking about how uh, the disparity that exists between say like African production and European um, production is what inspires me to, to do this kind of thing, as opposed to like the actual, you know, food product or beverage product. So yeah, I, I I'm excited about it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. I'm so excited about that and Absolutely. everything else. Thank you. Thank you.